And on Christmas, we remember this uh, great story of Jesus' birth. Uh, and how we find basically the glory of God contained between in maybe two, three, four kilos of newborn. And although the story of this birth and a cute little baby catches our attention, um, and definitely mine as I have a newborn baby myself, um, I can relate to the story a little bit uh, differently now. It's been beloved for millennia, but we, uh, we get the point of this story wrong, I think, because it's not really a nice story in the sense of what's happening um, around it. In fact, it's a story of anxiety, rejection, hardship, suffering, uh, but it's a lot more than that. I would actually uh, put to you guys this, that Christmas is the beginning of a regime change. Is the beginning of a regime change. Christmas is about corrupt empires being toppled. Christmas is a lot more like storming a beach on Normandy than a Hallmark Christmas movie. This baby was a future king who was coming with the kingdom, born into a royal family, and completely unknown by his own people. Uh, we know the nativity scene. You guys can picture it right now, I'm sure. You're imagining like sheep, you're imagining donkeys, you're imagining um, some angels hanging around, there's some shepherds thrown in the mix, there's this great star, and then these wise men show up, and they all converge on a cold winter's night on the 25th of December, and it might shock you to know that it didn't really happen like that at all. It didn't really happen like that. Firstly, Jesus was not born on the 25th of December. The shepherds were out late at night. You know what that indicates to us? It probably wasn't one of the coldest days of the winter for them. They would not have left their sheep out that late at night. Uh, we're probably looking at um, spring or maybe autumn, uh, maybe even summer. We don't know when Jesus was born, the exact day, but we celebrate it on the 25th, so let's celebrate it on the 25th. Um, but uh, the Gospels tell a quite different story to uh, what we know from the nativity scene. Um, and the problem of most of the world, most of the church, is we've gotten our theology about the birth of Christ from Christmas carols and Christmas cards, as opposed to uh, comparing those things to Scripture and seeing what Scripture says. And so we're actually going to dive into probably one of the least understood elements of the Christmas story, and that is the three wise men. And already I've said three, and already I'm wrong. There were not three of them. We think there were three. Uh, we know the carol, We Three Kings, uh, but that carol gets a lot wrong. They weren't kings at all. They were considered uh, wise men. The word is actually magi. Magi. So where we get the word magician from. And so uh, some bizarre traditions have sprung up about the magi. Up on this screen, you notice all three of those men are of different ethnicity. Because one of the bizarre uh, interpretations and traditions that have come up in church history is that each one of those wise men were from the three different tribes of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And that's why you've got the Ethiopian, you've got um, the Eastern man, maybe a Persian, and then you've got the Greek man, which is kind of that balding white guy with the, with the white beard. And they've all come and they're all representative of the Gentiles coming towards Jesus. And their names are, I believe, Balthazar, Caspar, uh, and Melchior. Well, we don't really know that at all. Uh, actually, we do know who the Magi were, and they weren't any of those ethnicities. They were not any of those ethnicities. And uh, the most bizarre tradition I found as I was doing my research, I think you guys will appreciate it, is there was a 12th century uh, monk who went digging around in the uh, Middle East, and he found three skulls 
And he knew that they were the skulls of the wise men, the three wise men. Do you know how he knew that? Because they had eyes in their skulls pointing to Bethlehem. How creepy is that? You can still see these skulls if you go to a cathedral in Milan. I guarantee you, those are not the three skulls of the three wise men. So who are these wise men? To understand that, we need first to understand that Jesus was not born into a world of stability. He was not born into a world of peace or normalcy. He was born into a dangerous world, a world of conflict, of bloodshed, consistent political turmoil. Uh, there were two superpowers in the world at the time, and the obvious one was the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. But there was a lesser known superpower that you guys probably have never heard of, and they were known as the Parthian Empire. I've got a map of it. Two big superpowers. You can imagine when these guys clashed, there were fireworks, and that's what did happen. And the Parthian Empire was immense. They, it was a huge empire, and they clashed with Rome multiple times in open battle. Neither side seemed to be able to get the upper hand. One side would win, then the other side would win, and the border shifted slightly over the course of history. But for 400 years, Rome tried many times to conquer the Parthian Empire and succeeded zero times. Parthia managed to stick around. They were a dominant military, cultural, and intellectual force in the ancient world, uh, and they had defeated only um, maybe about 50 years earlier the Romans at the Battle of Carrhae and taken a whole bunch of their legionary standards. Now, if you don't really, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about right now, but that was a big deal to the Romans. In fact, uh, they were so angry about it 50 years later that they actually sent a spy in to try to reclaim them and captured the king's son and then held him for ransom just to get those legionary standards back. Um, and there's all these like massive uh, sculptures of it. It's quite, it's quite impressive. Why does this matter? Why am I talking about this? Well, we find in this story Herod. Have you guys ever, you guys know about Herod, right? He's, a, he's an interesting guy, a very interesting guy, but he is basically, uh, they call him the king of the Jews. And we see Jesus is being called the King of the Jews. So you imagine Herod's not happy with that. They're already calling someone else his title. And he was a Roman puppet king. Do you know who he deposed? He came in and got rid of a king before him. Do you know who that was? A Parthian puppet king. Parthia and Rome were each taking in turns putting a puppet king in Jerusalem. Uh, so the Parthians would never be successful in putting another king in, but they always seemed, they backed anything that was against the Romans. They backed anything that would overthrow the Romans. And so Herod notices that these wise men from the east are coming, looking for the king of the Jews. That was Herod's title. He took it personally. He was not happy with this at all. And it says he was greatly troubled. Now that word greatly troubled shows up again when Jesus is walking on water and the disciples see him and they're greatly troubled. It actually says they're terrified, they're frightened. Uh, greatly troubled doesn't really capture what this word is saying. Herod was scared. You know why? Because his position was tenuous, and a Parthia came in to put another king in. It might be the end of his reign. It might be the end of his time. And so, this group comes in called the Magi. The Magi. You guys may never heard this group before. And they're actually, uh, they're not, you know, it's where we get the word magicians, but these guys didn't pull rabbits from hats. They didn't uh, cut their assistants in half. These guys were the name, it was the name of a tribe of people who lived in the Parthian Empire. Just like we might 
call the English the English, or the French the French, or the Turks the Turks, or the Kiwis the Kiwis. The Magi were the Magi. They were a racial group. They were a group of people, and they were a group of priests, just like the Levites. You know, the Levites were kind of the priestly tribe of Israel. The Magi were basically the priestly tribe of Parthia. They were skilled mathematicians, astronomers, and so naturally they see a strange star in the sky towards the west of where they are, and they decide they're going to follow it. It gets their attention. Uh, and so first, they show up and they know that this star signifies the king of the Jews. You might scratch your head for a second. How do they know that? How do these guys from the east know that this star signifies that Jesus has just been born? Well, you might be surprised to hear that the Magi show up all throughout the Bible. You may think, Cody, I've read the Bible, I've read it twice, I've never seen the word Magi show up in the Bible. I'll show you, it's actually there. Uh, they show up quite a bit in the history of Israel. They show up in the book of Acts. You might be surprised to hear that. Uh, they were a prominent and powerful group in the Babylonian Empire. And remember when Israel was conquered, where did they go? They were taken into captivity to Babylon. They were taken to Babylon. And you have this massive influx of Jewish people into Babylon. And this huge influx of Jewish people, they were called the remnant. They were the ones who stayed, uh, stuck firm to what God had said. They were the ones who were faithful to God's law. And they did not bend the knee to other gods. And they had come into Babylon. And we see in the book of Daniel, a group of young men that are taken into the king's service. And the emperor, Nebuchadnezzar at this time, he has this strange dream. And in Daniel 2.2, 2, we're going to read it, the verse is going to come up. It says, that the, Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. Now, I underline that word magicians, because the translators have taken some creative license and actually translated the word magi into magicians. But they're not magicians, they're magi. It's a people, a group of people, a pagan religious group who held immense political power in Babylon. And so we all know the story, well, some of us know the story about Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but what is Daniel able to do? They, that group, weren't able to interpret this dream, but Daniel praying to God, God gives him the correct interpretation of this dream, and he tells it to the king, and guess what? Daniel is made chief of the magicians chief of the Magi. I'll read it to you. Uh, Daniel 4, 8-9. At last, Daniel came in before me. This is the king speaking. He who was named Belteshazzar. So Daniel Belteshazzar, that's his, uh, that's his Babylonian name. After the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult to you, tell me the visions of my dreams that I saw in their interpretation. Ah, Daniel is chief of the Magi. He is in control of this group of wise men, this tribe of people. He's made the chief of the magicians and he's in charge of them. And from history, we know that uh, they were heavily influenced by the Jews. It, it's undeniable. All the history of the Babylonian Empire, the Jews had a massive impact on them, even to the point that they moved away from paganism and adopted monotheism. Monotheism just means the worship of one God. They worship multiple gods, the Jews show up, and guess who they worship? One God. Not the God of Israel, but they did move towards monotheism based on the influence of Jewish thought. Why is this important? 
Well, the Magi, think of them as kind of like a shadowy, influential group behind the scenes, kind of pulling the strings on everything. If you're like a uh, conspiracy theorist, they're like the Illuminati or the Knights Templar or something like that. They're behind the scenes working around, and that's actually the case. Uh, they survived the fall of the Babylonian Empire, and guess what? They're prominent in the Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire that comes after that. Do you know what empire came after that? The Greek Empire. And who do we see? But the Magi, still in prominence. And then when it comes to the Parthian Empire of Jesus' day, they show up and they wielded this tremendous political power, and they have the ability to select who the king is. That's who the Magi are. They're the kingmakers. They decide... In Parthia, who gets to be the king? And the king has to be educated from birth in all of the knowledge of the Magi. Whoa, these guys are powerful. Powerful, powerful group. They were called the Megastanis. No king could be crowned until he had the approval of the Magi. They were the most important part of the crowning ceremony. So why is this important? I've told you all this historical information, and I'm, I'm getting somewhere with it. There's a point to it. There was a guy, Phraates, Phraates, the fourth, the king of Parthia. This guy had just died after a big, long, and industrious reign, and he was murdered by his wife, the queen. And she put herself and her son as ruler of the empire of Parthia. Do you think the Magi chose them? No. The Magi did not choose them. In fact, they would later be deposed they would later be overthrown because of this. They were not legitimate rulers. And so during this time, guess who's born? Jesus is born after this guy is dead and there are these illegitimate rulers on the throne. Everyone knows about this. This isn't something that's off to the east that no one knows about. Everyone knows about the uh, political situations. Herod knows about the political situations in Parthia. And so you can understand why he's a little nervous. They're coming looking for a king. The Magi, the kingmakers, the ones who get to decide who is the king of Parthia, have made the long trek from Babylon all the way down into Jerusalem looking for a king. Looking for the king of the Jews. Put yourself in Herod's shoes. This is a bit awkward. He fought hard to become king of the Jews. In fact, he was a little loopy Herod. I'll go into it a little bit later. Uh, we know that they didn't place Jesus as king of Parthia. We know that that's not true. They end up cho choosing this other guy named Oroestes. Orodes, or or uh, sorry. But they're all worried. And they're worried that these magi would bring a regime change. They're worried that war would come. That Parthia would back this Jewish Messiah, overthrow Herod as king of the Jews, and throw them into a massive conflict. We know that didn't happen. These magi that traveled all the way from Persia to Jerusalem, not on camels, by the way, they would have ridden Persian stallions because they were from Parthia. They come with this huge entourage. They're not there necessarily to select a new king from Parthia. They actually give their reasons. This is what their reason is. They say, where is he, verse 2, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They were not there to select the next king of Parthia. They were there to worship the king of the Jews. Interesting. Why? They're Zoroastrians. They're not Jewish. Well, I believe that this group of Magi, 
This is my personal belief. Flawed men, but they were seekers of the God of Daniel that they had heard about so long ago, their old chief, Daniel. They had studied, that there were God-fearing Gentiles who had studied the stars and realized that there was this unexplained star in the distance. And so what they would have done is they would have read through everything. Why is this star here? Why is this star here? And it is certain they would have had a copy of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Absolutely certain they would have had it. And I am convinced that they came to Numbers 24, 17 and read this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Shech. And so they see this star over Israel. And they're studying and they're working out, where is this star coming from? Why is this star here? It's different. It's not a star that normally is there. It's a completely different star. And they realize that this new star was from Numbers 24. This is what I'm imagining is going on. And amazingly, the Magi were able to link this to the Jewish Messiah, and they knew this star was coming from Israel, and they come, and they try to find him. They want to find this king of the Jews. And God, in his infinite wisdom, prepared these Gentile men all the way from Daniel 600 years earlier so that this would occur when his son came into the world. God, by sheer grace, revealed his son, not to the Jewish leaders who should have been searching for him, but he revealed his son to Gentiles who by no means should have been searching for him, but were, and God revealed his son to them. He brought them to his son. And it was clear that the Jews saw this star, but they didn't think of Numbers 24. Who thought of them? But a bunch of magi, thousands of, about a thousand kilometers away. Amazing. And so these magi come in, and they ask them, where's this Messiah, the Christ? Where is he supposed to be born? They didn't know that. They probably didn't have the scriptures that pointed to that. They would have just had the, the Torah. And, and, they, and they tell them the scriptures. And they tell them where to go. And they come speak to Herod. And Herod uh, <laughs> pretends to be their friends. And says, hey guys, go find him. Come back, tell me. I want to go worship him too. It's going to be great. Go and do that. And so then they go down to Bethlehem. Uh, and, and, and while Herod is there, he's basically already beginning to flop the downfall of this pretend king of the Jews, this uh, person that will not come and usurp his position. And I just want to really quickly point out who this guy was. He was a wicked, paranoid tyrant of a king. I'll give you his rap sheet. Ready? He murdered three of his own sons because he was worried about succession rules. He killed his own brother-in-law. He married ten wives, one of whom was his niece and another was his cousin. He was so hated by the people that on his deathbed, he ordered that all the distinguished men from Jerusalem be taken into jail. Do you know why? Because when he died, he wanted them to be killed too, so they'd be mourning in the streets. Because he knew when he died, they wouldn't be mourning, they'd be rejoicing. And he did not want people to rejoice at his death. Well, guess what? Luckily for those men who were captured, they were not killed. When he died, no one followed through with his last wish. I don't think his sons wanted that on them when they were just assuming power. We also see in Matthew 2 that when the, when the wise men fool Herod, what does he do? He finds out when Jesus would have been born, and then he goes in and he kills all the baby boys under the age of two in Bethlehem. Just in case he missed any of them, just to kill all these little baby boys. Luckily, uh, well not luckily, by God's providence, they uh, flew away to Egypt. 
They escaped Egypt based off the money that they received from uh, the wise men. And so the Magi, they travel to Bethlehem, and that is when they see this same star leading them to the very house that Mary and Joseph were staying in. And this would have at least been a, at least a few months later. It was a long journey to get there, and they would have seen the star that appeared um, when Jesus was born. And when they come, they actually the star reappears and then leads them to the very house that Jesus was born. He was in a house now. It wasn't in the manger anymore. He was in a house. We don't know whose house it was. It was likely a relative of Joseph's. Um, and the star came to rest over the place, and that helps us understand what this star was. This star was not one of those enormous suns that are out there in the universe. It didn't come down to earth. That wouldn't have been good for earth. The word star doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means. It, in, the, in the Greek, it basically just means a light, something that shines forth. So there was this orb, some light that um, God had put in, whether it was an angel or his glory, we don't know, but it leads these wise men directly to the house that Jesus was in. And it says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Did you catch that phrase? Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Yeah, I find that an interesting phrase. Uh, but it shows you that these guys were genuine. They're legit, these wise men, aren't they? They are seeking God, and they are stoked when God shows up. They're open to God. And they enter the home, and they worship Jesus. They fall down. And do you know what person you would do that before? A king. And these kingmakers come into this house and bow before him, and offer him tribute as if he was a king. And of course we know he was. And they worshipped him. And he was more than someone who could, they could make the king of Parthia. He was destined to be the king of kings. The lord of lords. The eternal king of the entire world. These offerings were far too small for a king like Jesus. But it was all these men had. They offered gold, which would have been a welcome sight to the impoverished Mary and Joseph. They weren't particularly wealthy. Money that they would desperately need when Herod was going to come and kill them all, so that they could flee to Egypt and survive. <coughs> they were given frankincense and myrrh. And just so you guys know, they, were they both were this aromatic resin. It was a very expensive uh, resin used in perfumes, even to this day. Uh, and they were gifts fit to offer this king, but not this particular king. This king deserved so much more. And needless to say, these magi were changed forever. They departed back to Parthia with a tale to tell their people when they returned. That the that baby boy they met was born king of the Jews and he would rule this world forever. But they didn't go back to Herod. They did not tell him where Jesus was. And it gave Mary and Joseph the time they needed to escape. Now, I bet you when you heard the stories of the Magi when you're reading the Bible, you didn't know that background to them. These are historical accounts we see in the Bible. They are not myths. This is not mythology. And often in our nativity scene, we've made it seem so much like mythology. And we don't realize that these were real people. That these events really did happen. That Herod has been recorded as doing these horrible things. That the Magi were a real powerful force in those days. And it's a great reminder to us of the person of Jesus. He was a new king. And he was not like the kings of old. 
Rather than sending his army ahead of him to conquer, and then he kind of rolls up behind and takes all the glory, Jesus lands in disguise behind enemy lines. He uh, waded in, protected by nothing except for the might of his heavenly Father. This boy was destined to rule the world with justice and peace. Uh, when the French Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte reflected on the life of Jesus, he would say this. He says, I know men. And I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. These Magi kingmakers came to Jerusalem looking for the king of the Jews, and they departed in wonder, recognizing that this boy was king long before they arrived. It was just a foretaste of the salvation that God was going to bring to the Gentiles who were seeking him. While Jesus is there in that house, were there a throng of Jewish people there? No. Who came to seek him out? Gentiles. Gentiles came and sought him out. Christmas is the beginning of a regime change. This change is happening today. Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't coming with a nice philosophy. He wasn't coming even with just miracles uh, to perform so people would be amazed. He was a king coming with a kingdom, a rival kingdom, to the ones that are established on this earth that would stand the test of time as other king empires and kingdoms crumbled in its way. This kingdom stands the test of time, and we are a testament to this kingdom's durability that we sit thousands and thousands of kilometers away from Jerusalem, sitting right now in a place in Frankston, worshipping the true King Jesus. This Christmas, don't just remember the cute nativity scene. Those wise men are an ample uh, addition to those cute nativity scenes, but see Christmas as what it is, and that's a call to us. It's a call to take up arms and fight. It's a call to join Jesus' kingdom and fight alongside him. I'm going to leave you with a quote from C.S. Lewis. It says this, Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise. And is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. When you look at those wise men, you see those kingmakers, those magi, you know who they are. They're signifying the king. And he demands your royalty. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for this Christmas season where, although Jesus was not born on the 25th of December, we get to remember him on that day, remember that he was born into this world, born of a woman, born into flesh. <clears throat> and Lord, he was the mighty word of God, the, your glory made known to us. Father, it is amazing that in history this occurred. Lord, when heaven and earth met at that moment, when you invaded this world and you brought about this great regime change, and Lord, we want to see this world change. We want to see the suffering change. We want to see people come to know you and worship you. We want to see this world following your will as it is in heaven. So Lord, we pray use us as your people. Use us, we pray. Lord, I don't know the hearts of these people, but would Christmas Day remind us of the call to arms? 
would it remind us of this kingdom? We love you, Lord, we praise you for this wonderful part. In Jesus' name, amen.